0: This is Audio Gyan, and I am your host Kedar Nimkar. Welcome to a deep dive into the minds of luminaries from the Indian creative world. In late 1800s, a Spanish architect, Antonio Gaudi, said that there are no straight lines or sharp corners in nature. Therefore, buildings must not have straight lines or sharp corners. But where does the nature stop and where does the building begin? Let's explore more about architecture and history in this three-part series called An Insert into the History. This series is brought to you by The Drawing Board, uh, with whom I had partnered last year. The Drawing Board is an international architectural platform based in India. They have been actively running architecture competitions for undergraduate students since 2016. It is conceptualized by Mindspace Architects and Rohan Builders. This year, the program is to redesign the existing Badami Archaeological Museum in Karnataka. Submission deadline is 9th October 2023. More details in the show notes and thedrawingboard.in. Today, in this concluding episode of the series, uh, we have architect Sherman Stave with us uh, on AudioGAN. Sherman is a principal and landscape architect at STX Landscape Architects. With more than 30 years of experience, he has practiced extensively in Asia and North America. His exposure to diverse culture from early age has lent him a broad global perspective and deep appreciation of how shaping our environments can change our lives in fundamental ways. These are critical lenses that continue to inform his design approach. More about him in the show notes. So, uh, thank you, Sherman, for giving your time. And it's a real, real honor to have you on audio again. Uh, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much, Kadar. It's a pleasure to be on your show and to be talking to you. Thank you.
0: Amazing. So as uh, as I started off, uh, and the topic uh, itself says uh, the theme is in an art uh, and insert into the history. But I thought um, I'll ask, where is this place? Right? Uh, And and where does it start? Because um, like, I'll, I'll in the in the uh, late part of the episode, I'll ask a bunch of questions around Singapore, which is uh, kind of now my hometown. But uh, I, I'll start off with the most uh, fundamental question, like, just for my curiosity is that who's a landscape architect, right? And perhaps like, what are the principles or uh, strategies or or framework uh, on which a landscape architect works?
1: Um, okay, uh, that's a very broad question, and uh, I'm sure you'd get different answers from different landscape architects, but um, probably the easiest way for me to describe what I do is that I'm a designer of the outdoor in- environment. So everything uh, essentially outside of a building, uh, including the placement of a building, uh on a landscape is something that I am involved in. And um, typically a building never sits on a site isolated. You have to get to the building and you have to get out of the building and then surrounding the building, depending on the type of building. You might have various different programs. You might have different elements, different uh, uh, uses. So that's where I get involved. I get involved in the planning of that and then I get involved in the design of those spaces and uh, I'm the go-between between what you want to build and what uh, the site is. And um, I try to bring the two together. That's what landscape architecture is uh, to me.
0: Got it. And and any any guiding principles are there when like you're designing? I know it's like, a more of an academic thing, but uh, like, like what could be the key top uh, considerations while doing that?
1: Um, yeah, there are guiding principles, and I think it always, for me, it always starts with the site. Um, every site is different, and uh, if you are going to intervene or create an intervention on that site, you have to understand the site. So the first principle is you need to go to the site, and you need to do your homework. What is that site about? And uh, when I talk about the site, it's not just the physical site, but it's also, um, you know, where does the sun come up? Where does it go down? How does it affect the site? Where are the winds? Where's the uh, where's noise coming from? Where does the noise go? Understand the site and the site will tell you what you can do on it and never try to do too much and never try to force a site to do something that it just cannot accommodate because that'll end up in disaster. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, all of the flooding that you see on the coastal areas are people that built on sites that just can't accommodate it, right? So you get a lot of flooding. Uh, now, if a landscape architect was involved, uh, maybe they could have told you that. Um, so uh, the first principle is understand the site and then advise your client and the architect what the site can uh, tolerate. And um, if you start there, you're on your way to success, right? So that's hmm. the main thing. Um, start there.
0: Hmm. Hmm got it in fact that reminded me of one quote which i recently heard in i think art and ideas podcast uh, where Vivi doshi uh, he said uh, is is the architecture defined in his obviously like a questionish kind of a format is that is the architecture defined by theory uh, or its convention or is it something which is rooted in the place so like where do you see this like uh, how big or small the overlap uh, is because with the entire capitalist mindset, you have certain areas to be designed in a particular way. So how do you look at that? And then maybe we can extend that further to the, the theme of the competition, Badami. But yeah, like like where do you see the big trade-offs are being done or how do you see that kind of dynamics operating when, when certain site, as you said, the flooding happens, right? So when there could be certain sites where It's not possible, or it's not recommended, but it just needs that setup. So, like, uh, like how, where, where, what are the trade-offs then?
1: You know, the the thing is, when I think about uh, a project, uh, to me, I think a successful project is where there are no discernible lines. So, the lines between there shouldn't be any discernible line between architecture and landscape it should
0: um
1: when you when you enter that site it should feel like it was always meant to be there and it it feels very natural if it feels forced then uh it probably was forced right so um i think um a site will dictate the type of architecture. And I think any good architect will tell you that, that their architecture responds to the site. It responds to the context. It responds to the climate. It responds to, uh, you know, uh, what's around it. Um, and I think that's that's quite important. You, you really need to let nature speak to you, the nature of the site. And if you do that, and I think about the works of Jeffrey Bauer, for example, uh you know every every project that he did he responded to the context of that site and if you do that you can't go wrong and there are very there's very little distinction between where the landscape starts and stops in Jeffrey Bauer's work. It's seamlessly integrated and that's the way it should be. Um, so I think that to me is sort of very important and uh, with any site, whether it's a uh, archaeological site or whether it's an urban site or whether it's a rural site. Uh, it, 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 it is, an, it is a, um, again, that seamlessness that you get from the architecture uh, and the landscape that is really, really important. And um, if you have like-minded individuals, um, an architect and a landscape, a architect working together, I think that this is when a project becomes quite magical uh, because you work with each other to basically uh, bring out the best, right? Of what what can what is the potential uh, that can be realized from that project? Um, I, I hope that answers your question. I'm not quite sure if I did.
0: Yeah, no, yeah, but uh, I have a follow up on that because when I yeah. spoke to Prashant Pole, uh, yeah. he he mentioned about making spaces more inclusive. So yes, there could be certain Names given to certain architecture buildings, for example, a hospital might look different, but there's no need of having a museum or having a mall uh, uh, have a very inclusive exclusive nature to it, right? It can blend into living public spaces. So in that context, like are there any nuances where the building is being thought of? But because of the, the the topology or something, it creates exclusiveness. Then, how do you sort of balance it out? Um,
1: yeah, that's that's actually quite tricky because uh, again, uh, you know, sometimes it depends on the program of the building, as you say, right? Because if it's a hospital, you know, it has a very specific program. A hospital will never be designed in the same way as a shopping mall for example that also has a very specific program and the nature of the project is going to define or help define the nature of the architecture and that will correspondently have an impact on how the landscape then accommodates it. right and i i think with every single project the, the you have to reinvent the wheel, right? You can't, there aren't any formulas per se. Um, so I think, uh, you know, with with projects, uh, whatever the project is, um, it will need to be, you have the program elements, but the way you actually then bring it to fruit vision is going to be different. It has to be different because the sites are different. Um, now, in terms of an expression, though, I think uh, most of the work that I do is uh, it's it's a very contemporary expression. I don't try to be nostalgic. I don't try to be stylistic. You know, it, it, it's it's absurd to create some sort of a Italianate villa in India, for example. It doesn't make any sense, right? So, uh, you know, if anything, I try to stay away from stylistic conventions. Uh, because uh, then you're then you're letting a style design it for you, which is not very sensitive at all. Mm. Uh, you know the the sensitivity comes from uh, responding to your context, and then let uh, you know your personal sort of uh, aesthetic inform that. Uh, let your personal aesthetic inform. The expression, and I think that's that's. Uh, and my my bias has always been uh, quite a contemporary. Uh, um, uh, I look at uh, contemporary forms and contemporary architecture and contemporary art, and mm-hmm. I try to uh, design something that is um, true to its time. You know, I'm not mm-hmm. trying to design something that's in the 18th century. I am trying to design something that not only has a sense of place which is its site but also has a sense of time which is the now you know it's an expression of who we are now or what we aspire to be um so um and there has to has to be that type of honesty to uh, the project and if you do that you 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 will inevitably i think get it right um it, it's it's not always easy it's tough but You do need to let it um, uh, boil to the surface, so to speak, and uh, uh, be honest.
0: Yeah, got it, got it. But uh, now it's a it's a beautiful thing, right? Like uh, the theme of the competition is to design the Badami uh, Archaeological Museum, uh, and we are designing it now. While it's the entire context is very historical, so I mean the last two episodes yes we have been giving some clues to the students but uh in your like uh kind of view where would you draw the line like uh like do you would you respond to it to the way it is now or would you try to like just recreate some pieces as a landscape uh designer and then like continue the museum like where are, what are your thoughts around it
1: um you know, when you're dealing with an archaeological site, um, and especially something that has a historical value, you have to show it respect. And by respect, I mean, you have to do your homework. What is the original intention of that site? What, what was it meant to be? What did it mean to the people, uh, you know, when it was first conceived, when it was first constructed? And um, you have to understand that. But I think then what we are trying to do in today is how do we then uh, design it so that we can portray it to a new audience and portray it to a new audience where we're showing this project uh, to someone that this, this is history, but we are showing it to you in a contemporary way. So, in other words, I would not try to do anything nostalgic. You're not going to recreate archaeology. I mean, that's uh, that's not our point. Mm -hmm. the The point of the project is to reveal the archaeology, and you have to reveal it in a contemporary way. And so, for that, you know, if you if you come from that perspective, um, I would I would not try to force anything. But at the same time, I wouldn't try to be apologetic either. You are making an intervention. I mean, Mm -hmm. you you have to acknowledge that. You are making an intervention. And the intervention that you make uh, should be purposeful. It should be sensitive, for sure. But it should be purposeful. You're not trying to do something that somebody might have done 100 years ago or 200 years ago. You're trying to do something that somebody is going to do now that is going to help reveal what was done 100 years ago or 200 years ago. Um, So don't, don't, don't try to get in the head of the person that created it 200 years ago and think, what would they do? They've already done it. You just need to understand it and now say to yourself, what are you going to do? Hmm right and uh, because it's now your design and you are bringing to it another layer and uh so and and if you're bringing to it another layer then you should also respect yourself in the sense that i am now um going to put another layer on and it's going to be a meaningful layer and it's it's not going to be in any way um, I'm not trying to copy anybody. I'm going to be original.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah. Hmm. yeah,
0: but but uh, in fact, I remember my conversation with Bibi Doshi as well, and I asked him that why are the buildings and and cities started looking the same? Yes, which uh, uh, he very eloquently put in saying that uh, because architects these days are no longer poets, and and it, <laughs> I just remembered it. Uh, I I still remember it every time. So. Uh, in my conversations with, like, multiple people over the years, uh, like, there's one more insight which I've found is that because we are doing it uh, now, there has been certain sense of flatness to it. Like, most of the things have started looking a bit flat. Like, it, it's very natural to, like, copy and get inspired, but that original thinking or deep thinking is missing, Right. And and yes, like, if you enter a very fancy mall in, say, India, Mumbai, it would hardly look like, uh, as in it will almost look like some something in Singapore or Dubai. So if we respond to the time, then what could be the other parameter, uh, if not context, that you bring still the same sensitive nature of that site? And yet, I mean, retain the the context but not really the flattening of things you know what i mean
1: i do and i I do think that uh you know architects obviously struggle with it and i think um uh landscape architects to a certain extent also struggle with it but uh, landscape architects to a certain extent are buffered because you can't you can't reinvent a landscape a landscape is a living thing i mean you can't uh, put a maple tree in 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 mumbai it'll die um whereas you can put a glass building in mumbai and it will survive and mm-hmm. uh, you know so uh, in that sense architecture is a lot easily transportable uh, or you know and you can take it from place to place to place and you know just do the same thing and, of course, you do the same thing because it's cheaper to build and it's much easier and you can fabricate it very, very fast. Uh, that's not good architecture. That doesn't make good architecture. Um, and, yes, a, a, a shopping mall in Dubai looks exactly like a shopping mall in Singapore, which looks like probably something in Mumbai and everywhere else. Yeah. And so what happens with all of that is then you – you. Uh, that's i I don't think that's a good thing. I mean, yes, we all shop at the same places as well. I mean, we all uh, you know eat the same food and go to the same fast food and shop Levi's and so forth. and you can get all of these uh, franchises in all of the malls all over the world, right? So it's become ubiquitous. Uh, but what that does is that I think it it very subtly and maybe not so subtly, it whitewashes identity. Mm-hmm. And that's a very, you know, that's something that I think is unfortunate because uh, identity comes from where you are, your sense of place, your culture and so forth. And so if your built environment does not reflect that, then I don't think you're doing a very good job. You know, whether you're an architect or a landscape architect, uh, you failed. Um, you, 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 uh, you've taken the easy way out. Um, and mm-hmm. that's really, really unfortunate. Um, so, um, in, and, and I'm, and I'm uh, you know, if I'm going to be critical, I, I don't want to be critical of our profession um, only because I think, you know, part of this equation is also the developers and the people that facilitate this, the builders, right? And it's, you know, they... Uh, they also look at a shopping mall in Dubai and say, give me one in India, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's very rare that you will get a client that will actually say, I like the experience of what is done in Dubai. Give me something similar, but put it into an Indian context, Mm. right? Um, And... um, And that's the way it should be. It should be contextual, but unfortunately, a lot of it is uh, not. And Singapore is a prime example of that, right? I mean, Singapore has basically imported almost everything, everything. And uh, so uh, in Singapore, you know, you will see remnants of sort of architecture from the colonial era. But, you know, if if somebody was to say, is there a style of architecture to Singapore? Uh, there isn't. It's a universal style. I mean, it, it, it's, it's uh, all of the buildings that have been done here uh, have also been done elsewhere. There, there's very little that gives uh singapore uh, a specific identity that is uh rooted in singapore and that is authentic to singapore uh one might say well uh, singapore the authenticity of it is that it's a fabricated place and that's that's probably true you know mm. it's, uh, singapore really is a fabricated place it's a fabricated society so, the buildings also reflect that. It's fabricated. It was put together, you know um, so um, but India is very different. It's not a fabricated <laughs> society. It's a society that's centuries old that has a uh, such a rich history and to to uh, to ignore that uh, it's a
0: shame. It's an mm-hmm. absolute shame mm-hmm. so how how can the landscape? design contribute uh, to the say the interpretation or, or the visitor experience right in case of a museum in case of a mall in case of any archaeological site like can you help us like picture right like or probably send any example where the landscape has really augmented the overall experience of a building Uh,
1: Yeah, uh, plenty. I think, uh, you know, uh, when I I think about some of the most memorable sites that I've been to, or some of the most memorable buildings that I've been to, it's about a journey of how the site reveals itself to you. And it's not something that you see all at once. It's actually... uh, Unfolding. Unfolding absolutely, and it it and you have to take your time to digest it, right, so and there's a specific route or path that you have to take in order to be able to finally reach the end point and say to yourself, "Okay, now I get it, now I see it, now I see the whole thing, right, and uh, that is powerful and so whether it's a, you know, the site that we're talking about, the the, the Barami site, but also with other sites that I've been to, uh, whether they're archaeological sites or any other types of landscape, it's about the journey. It's about the journey, and, and obviously you're walking. Some of the sites you can actually drive through, but you know the sites that we're talking about, you're walking it and you're discovering it, and so that journey. Is actually the sequencing of that, the choreography of that, and how the pace and how the spaces either open up or close down or get you to move to the left or to the right, up or down is very, very important. And um, a skillful landscape architect and a skillful architect. Will manipulate the site in very subtle ways to elicit a particular response from you, right? And to um, so that uh, by the time you end up at there where they want you to end up, you have gone through a series of experiences that have brought you to this place, and. That experiential quality is what you'll remember. That's what you're going to take away, and mm-hmm. it's 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 a it's a case of you won't need a camera. You <laughs> will actually just it's already already in your head. You've already recorded it, mm-hmm. and um, uh, that's how I know that then we've done a successful job.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, any any recently seen or like any example that you have like, remember vividly?
1: Yeah, I visited a garden in Kyoto, a Japanese garden. Mm -hmm. And um, it's actually a very, very small site. And it's a very small garden in terms of square meters. But the way you sort of enter into the site, first of all, you enter into the site from a very busy road, um, and which is chaotic, but then you cross a threshold and immediately there's a change in pace, there's a change in the quality of the space, in the light, in the textures of the space. And you can only go in one direction, right? It's purposefully you are directed. Uh, through the space. And so then you walk up slightly, and then it flattens out, and then, uh, you know, the pavement changes, and then, you know, what you're looking at uh, might change, and then something opens up to you. And, but it was so well choreographed that even though it was such a small site, it took me a very long time to actually walk through it. And, um, I thought that was really, really well done. I mean, whoever designed that space knew exactly what they were doing. And every single step they had thought about, you know, what will happen? And what will you feel? And and that uh, Japanese garden? Um, yeah, I mean, I think every landscape should be designed that way.
0: <laughs> yeah. Amazing. So, um, like, again just coming back to our uh, themes uh, like competitions uh, theme is like what would again like be the considerations while designing an architecture in especially such a high sensitive historical landscape right uh, it's been there for ages so any any uh, like if you were supposed to design like what would be your kind of not guiding principles but yeah like key key uh elements that you would consider? Especially Um, the Badami one.
1: Yeah, no, and and the Badami one is a very important one, right? And it's quite a special site. Um, Mm. I think uh, it always starts with homework. Mm. uh, And it starts with homework of uh, understanding, you know, why did this come into being? You know, what was the motivation behind its creation in the first place? Right? And uh, there might have been a motivation for the creation of it and when it was first created, but then how did it evolve, right? What did it mean to the community uh, specifically, and how did it grow in its stature? How did it evolve? How did it change, and so forth? And and you need to understand its story, and you need to uh, And once you understand that story, then you need to move on. You need to tell a new story. Mm -hmm. And that's where your intervention has to come in. And I think uh, with with a site like this, the the thing that I always, when I get involved with projects like this, is that try not to over-design You don't have to do too much. You just need to make some very specific surgical interventions. And that's it. You don't need to do too much. And Mm -hmm. that can help uh, to actually not only respect the site, but also take it to a newer audience. Um, So, uh, you know, I would, I would, I would. You know, I would try to think of, well, what what is it that I can do here that might help, you know, bring it to a newer audience that can reveal something to a contemporary audience that is also uh, a contemporary design, Hmm. right? So Hmm. don't try to uh, design something that is something that might have been designed 100 years ago, right? Design something that is, make an intervention that is contemporary, but also make a very sensitive intervention. Uh, Don't over-design it. Don't try to, we don't need bells and whistles. You just need uh, a very sensitive intervention. um, The site will tell you what it needs. You just need to listen to it.
0: Correct, correct. Now, In fact, I'm just taking one uh, liberty to ask very old question, which I've been asking for many people. As a creative person, as a designer, you are finally, I mean, it, it may not be like really apt for undergrad students, especially, but as a, after practicing for certain years, you wish to have your own signature or your own kind of Yeah, signature is the right word. Like you need you as a as a it's a very natural thing to have. Then how can you have that when you are respecting the context and the 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 site itself? Like you mentioned about having that specific surgical intervention, is it like how do you not have the signature or should you have a signature? I don't know. Um,
1: You know, if if anything. not having a signature is a signature, um, and I I actually prefer that. Uh, I think that if you have a signature, what you are actually doing is you're restricting yourself, and you have you have thwarted the design process, and you have thwarted the design expression simply because you are constrained by something artificial, which is your signature, mm. right? Uh, And your signature, uh, it is artificial, it's invented. And if you do that, then um, you unnecessarily uh, put yourself into a straitjacket. You know, um, and I'm just thinking of someone like, uh, you know, very famous architect, Richard Meyer, he does white buildings. That was his signature. Uh, I mean... I I don't know. I find that absurd Uh, as a landscape architect uh, that, uh, you know, that if you have a signature that's so specific that you can only do white buildings because that becomes your signature. Um, No, your signature, (laughs) my signature is that I don't have one. My Mm. signature is that every single project that I do, I hope looks different. They probably don't. There are probably similarities with a lot of the work that I do, uh, but it's not intentional. I, I purposely try to make sure that I try to uh, respond to the site and I try to respond to the site uh, and the program and the client uh, in a way that is very, very new. I try to reinvent the wheel every single time. And mm-hmm. um, if, 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 my legacy is that uh you know every project that i've worked on is different i think that's a good legacy mm-hmm. because then it tells me that i've actually uh, become a sensitive designer and that i'm putting my um, need to sort of you know put my print on something and just actually responding to what the site dictates what the client's aspirations are and what the program is and what the people want to do with it right that's more important um and um leave it at that you don't need to do anything more
0: <laughs> yeah it's it very much i i i resonated it with very much uh, but it's just like yeah maybe time will Reveal more things. Cool. Uh, so I wanted to conclude with last uh, two questions. Uh, one was about, uh, which I started off with, like Singapore. Uh, since I'm staying here and I'm new to the city, uh, but as in I've recently moved, but I see some amazing work done by humans, right? And and as you said, it's fabricated or it's manufactured. But still, yes, there are reclaims. Uh, uh, everything is like just built on uh, something but uh, the overall landscape seems to be well thought through right it's it's like well designed most of the stuff is well designed so can you share your learnings or experience observing this and and being part of creating for some of them how can someone be like especially the gardens and like the the dome and and bunch of places it seems that there's some sort of a command, which, which uh, is like, yeah, I mean, you can't control nature, but it seems like there is some sort of controlling happening, right? Uh, in terms of the trees, the way they are kept and uh, landscape. So like, can you, can you share any learnings or something which can be learned how these people have done these amazing work?
1: um okay that's that's uh, it's a pretty big question the 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 one thing i will say is that singapore is very well planned mm-hmm. you know the the people that have planned the city have spent a lot of time making sure that uh the city is planned out and well laid out um so for that reason it is very efficient um the, one of the things also um when Singapore was being developed, is that they were very, very practical. And I think Singapore's landscape, to a great extent, is very practical. It's a very hot place. And for that reason, you need trees to provide shade. I mean, that's a very practical consideration. So one of the things that they dictated in their planning guidelines is that all the roads have to have trees. And, you know, you have to have uh, a, a space Right next to the road that is dedicated just to plant a tree. And that's what they did, you know, and that's what they planned and that's what they've done. So that's why all of Singapore's streets, all the new streets, they have trees on them. Mm. And the trees that they planted are trees with very broad canopies that provide maximum shade, right? So, uh, and in that sense, I think the landscape in Singapore is a very, very practical landscape, right? It is purposefully done to uh, bring down the temperature and it's very successful in doing that. Um, I wouldn't say that Singapore's landscape is a particularly sustainable landscape in any way. Uh, It is a, uh, you know, a lot of the uh, natural landscapes around Singapore um, have been, uh, no longer exist. I mean, even the coastline, uh, you know, it's basically all landfills, all of the natural uh, littoral edges and marshes and wetlands and all of that are basically disappeared, right? So, uh, you know, Singapore used to be a like every landscape used to be uh, a very sustainable landscape it it is no longer a sustainable landscape but it's a very practical landscape it's a very practical landscape that serves its purpose um and it will continue to be that and i think the 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 government is now trying to introduce more sustainable landscapes into the city fabric and um that's a difficult thing to do when you have such a urbanized um uh, um city already to then try to uh you know create sort of nature parks and so forth and continuous nature parks right because it's essentially you you're digging up what's uh, what you paved over and then try to turn it into nature um mm-hmm. uh, but they are trying to do that because they realize that you know a lot of uh, singapore's landscape is uh, yeah, there's there's um, it's not very sustainable, um,
0: but from a planning point of view, very well done, right? Very well done. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's really fascinating. Cool. Uh, so, Sherman, I wanted to conclude with one last question: is that can you share any example of like say a good museum or any good public space where, uh, yeah, like the landscape and the building have blend. Very organically, or or the building, I would say the other way around that the landscape is there, uh, and then the the architecture or the the built thing was like is organically blending with the nature.
1: Yeah, a project that comes to mind immediately, and it's a project that I make reference to all the time, is the Salk Institute by Louis Kahn. Um that is a stunning project. Um, and the landscape there is also uh, one of the most pure landscapes that I've ever ever seen. I mean it's it's just um you know it's the famous picture uh where you have buildings on either side and then right down the middle you have this very narrow channel of water that disappears uh, into the horizon and it is so powerful because essentially you know it, it's 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 a conversation between the earth and the sky and the meeting of the two in infinity i mean my god that is just mm-hmm. and that is just you know louis Kahn just made one move and in that one move, you know, he just uplifted the soul. I mean, it's just absolutely stunning, and uh, it's 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 the type of place that um, it, it leaves you breathless. Uh, it is just so beautiful, and um, yeah. So when I think about and 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 that that landscape. It doesn't have any trees. It doesn't have any grass. It doesn't have any shrubs or ground covers, anything like that. It just has a open plaza with just one line of water that disappears into the sky, and the buildings are on either side. I mean, and um, it just frames your view, and it's it's so poetic. It's just absolutely gorgeous. Um, so, yeah, if if if. If I could do something like that, I would have. Uh, I would have done well.
0: <laughs> great, great, and and sorry, I just like recollected one more thing. Uh, uh, that I've been reading a bit of uh, the five point principles uh, or, or five principles of architecture by Le Corbusier, and in that, like when you build that base uh so that you can build on top of it which is the pillars then are you respecting the landscape because then you are like almost omitting the landscape and creating your own plane through pillars right so like how would you like how do you see that this is just like my personal thing also
1: um it's a very interesting theory and i think it is gaining more relevance um now because of Uh, you think about the density of cities and I think Corbusier was probably anticipating that when, you know, he started to uh, talk about doing buildings in this manner, he was starting to anticipate that, you know, we're going to be having urban environments where you're going to get very high densities and the buildings are going to be very, very close together. And, you know, one way to free up uh, the ground plane and to maintain the ground plane is to actually uh, you know, keep the ground plane free and put the buildings up above, right? Um, and um, um, and and it's an idea that's actually uh, probably a little bit ahead of its time, but it is it's relevant. And I think uh, you know there, there's something to it. But then the way that it is then executed also, I think, is um, something that we probably need to do a little bit more. Uh, homework on and need mm. to understand a little bit better as well um but the um, yakubusi's yeah, ideas are uh, very interesting i mean he was he was someone that was obviously always always thinking much further into the future of mm. you know what human settlements were all about and you know when you when you when you think about all of the flooding that is happening in the coastal towns the idea of putting architecture on top of pillars Uh, it's it's in a way common sense because, you know, a a lot of their, like I think about all of their, you know, riverfront settlements that, uh, you know, along the Bangkok River, where you have all of these sort of makeshift uh, huts or makeshift homes that are sitting on bamboo poles within the river. And mm-hmm. you know the, the river is like your highway, right? That's where all the the social life and the business is conducted, and all of your architecture like this, sits on stilts. And the river, the water goes up and down, but uh, the architecture and the the built spaces they're static, right? And mm-hmm. but they exist in harmony because it lets the water go up and down, and that's you know it can do what it does. So. Um, hmm. maybe Corbusier wasn't an, anticipating that. I don't know. But, hmm. um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very interesting idea.
0: Correct. Yeah. I mean, there are also counter theses to his, uh, principles, but, uh, never mind. We'll, we'll take that up sometime later. I think <laughs> okay. uh, this is, <laughs> this is a good note to end. Uh, thanks a lot for giving your time. It was really wonderful chatting with you thank uh, you and, and yeah uh, looking forward to have you again
1: thank you very much i really enjoyed this and um, i look forward to listening to more of your podcasts thank you
0: cool thank you thank you that's it and that's it from today's gan session for show notes and more gan visit audiogan.com and if you wish to connect with me i am at audioganmoments on instagram until then take care